Welcome to the Dior Hot Seat. Binance Smart Chain, rebranded now to BNB Chain. It was born in 2020, hoping to attract DeFi users from the high fees of Ethereum, but retaining the EVM compatibility. This compatibility was to use the same smart contracts, but also to reproduce everyone's 2020 DeFi mistakes. We gotta give it to them though. From opportunistic origins, they have reason to be the EVM chain with more users, or at least more addresses. What's also interesting is that they don't need to spend energy on the consuming protocol discussions of Ethereum, because they will anyway implement them down the line to maintain compatibility. So they can focus on building another set of tools on top. Victor from the Greenfield team is building one of such tools, the centralized storage with billing built in and a very interesting mix of validators, some of them professional, but leaving space for true decentralization with smaller operators with home-based connections. This was a very explanatory episode where we will go deep into the weeds of the BNB plans for the future and even deeper in how Greenfield works. We like to go deep into these topics, so if you like it too, consider subscribing or following, depending on the platform, so we can continue bringing you content like this. Now, who knows, maybe this podcast will be soon hosted in the centralized storage too. Victor from Greenfield explains how it would work. Thank you very much for inviting me. Great to be on the Dior. I guess like we'll put it a little bit, like to have a broader discussion about what BNB chain is and how is it different from others and uh, what kind of value the developers and the users can derive from it. And later on, we'll get a little bit more into the newly released, I guess, um, being refilled, which is a decentralized storage. This is mainly the project that I'm working on. And uh, But you can later on ask me questions about anything like on the ecosystem, just not when to buy Bitcoin. Those minds will be always. So let's talk about a little bit further, a little Web3. There is a lot of confusion or sort of like uh, when we talk about Web3 or blockchain, everyone sort of like likes to talk about either NFTs or DeFi. Uh, from our perspective, though, as a platform, we tend to look a little bit broader and think about it as a new cloud in a way, like if it, if we if we look at like 15 years ago, so uh, if you look at the technology, like itself, then you should look at it as as a cloud infrastructure. So eventually, everything will move to blockchain in one way or another. It just will be like uh, the storage, the cloud uh, computing. So instead of AWSs and GCPs. Eventually, this will be decentralized and uh, stored and computed everywhere around the world and not just by the fan companies. And primarily, this is because uh, eventually the capacity that is needed for this and uh, the regulation uh, will just force this change to happen. And uh, uh, users also want to be the owners of the data. A lot of the governments uh, don't allow the data to, tr uh, to to move or to be stored in particular countries, so this all moves towards it. So from our perspective, when we talk about Web3 projects, we are talking about everything from healthcare to mortgage, uh, to payment, supply chain, everything from IoT um, to sensors, essentially everything that you can imagine right now working in the a cloud infrastructure. From our perspective, this is the target audience for uh, to move to the blockchain. And uh, uh, so, why why is BNB Chain? So, BNB Chain is um, initially started in 2020 as a clone of uh, Ethereum network, but since then, it uh, it sort of like become a superset of Ethereum. So from the all the forking and all the features, uh, it is uh, fully backward compatible eventually. So like everything that is happening on Ethereum eventually becomes on the BNB chain as well. Uh, but uh, as on top of it, what you get is uh, because the chain is a little bit different from the security perspective and the number of validators and how it works because it's proof of uh, 
uh, authorized authority, uh, authorized staking and not proof of stake, regular regular Ethereum. Uh, so it's a little bit more uh, stricter on the security in terms of who can be the validator. And because the number of the validator is uh, much smaller, we can implement uh, different improvements of the consensus, which is not possible usually on the Ethereum because it's just uh, there are too many validators there and uh, to get to some kind of agreement between the validators takes too much time and uh, resources. Uh, so this is why, uh, in general, a BNB chain is the most performed in the EVM world. We have implemented over the past two years uh, several improvements, both in terms of the uh, fast finality, which is now three seconds and is going to be reduced even further. So finality is when is your actual block uh, cannot be reversed. So if you put it to comparison, uh, Ethereum now is uh, 15 minutes. And uh, also parallel EVM. And this is very similar to even to Solana world. If somebody knows how the Solana operates is that uh, all the transactions are executed in parallel. Uh, so this makes the network increases the throughput much higher. So this is the variation of it and uh, which makes the overall blockchain throughput very fast. And naturally, even for the projects that want to go beyond that, BNB chain has uh, been introducing several scalability solutions or L2s. And this starts from ZKBNB, which is a zero knowledge uh, rollup. And also now Optimistic BNB, which has also been uh, announced a month ago, I think, a few weeks ago, but is uh, soon to be on the testnet as well. Uh, so as, as the whole ecosystem, you get sort of like um, everything that you get on Ethereum and plus. Uh, and what is it is exactly the plus is the users. Uh, so BNB chain is... Uh, a, three times has more users than Ethereum and even more up to 10 times than smaller networks like Avalanche. Uh, but in general, this is the most sort of like crowded network uh, among all the blockchains, uh, both in terms of daily active users and in terms of transactions. So it means that from the project perspective, essentially, when you come to it, it's... Um, you have the users like to be able to adopt your product or your services. And from the user's perspective, it's again, it's like similarly, it's a, it's a networking effect. You, if you want to go to some kind of application, you want to use it like social network, you want to go where all your friends are and not like one or two. So this is generally like, depends like naturally your grandma is either of them. But uh, if you talk about like Web3 community, then uh, uh, most of it resides in, in the BNB chain. And this makes it easier for the, uh, for the projects to adopt new users and also new use cases uh, as there are just more people to try it out. Naturally, there is a, a law of big numbers. Not everyone will even try it. But uh, if you're talking about like what is 1% of 1 million user versus 1% of 10,000, then naturally when you have uh, more users as a whole, then uh, uh, even the percentage that gets to the funnel of the sales cycle or some kind of marketing engagement is much larger than otherwise would be. So what is it BNB chain? So over the years, there was different naming back and forth. Uh, so when we talk about the BNB chain is essentially everything, all the blockchains that uh, reside within the ecosystem. There is also BNB smart chain or BSC. This is essentially the EVM compatible smart uh, contract network. This is, this is the Ethereum, so to speak. This is the, where the smart contracts live. And this is uh, the, the main blockchain with which users uh, interact. There are different rollups on top of it, essentially scaling it up. 
uh, they mentioned uh, Ziki, optimistic, and uh, it's not uh, restricted to one. You can have several Ziki or several optimistic, just as you have in Ethereum. And uh, recently, we have uh, introduced a decentralized storage to be able, to sort of like, to support all this compute from the storage perspective. If we look about, if you look at uh, similar to Amazon AWS, then up until now we had sort of like different uh, variations of uh, a computer uh, machines, either it's uh, E2 or uh, uh, Lambdas, and now we have S3 to support all this. This has now become to testnet, but uh, very soon it will, be, uh, it will uh, reach the mainnet, and this will essentially compete with the decentralized storage as well as decentralized for those, for like initially probably for the Web3 projects, but later on we'll see maybe even for the uh, traditional cloud projects. So how, how is it different and what does it do? So the main difference, if we put all the marketing aside, the main difference is that you actually can own the data and you can trade it or you can exchange change the, the metadata or essentially the ownership or the permissioning. And uh, simply put, it is that uh, you have a file, you can upload it, similar to you can do what you can do to IPFS and Filecoin today and are with, but what, can you, what you can do is you can connect this file to the smart contract which runs on the BNB smart chain and change its metadata. And later on, we'll be able, in the phase, second phase, you'll be even able to, to do data processing. Right now, right now, though, essentially you can do is build very easy, sort of like a Dropbox or Google Docs with a, so you can change files, you can share it, you can update it, everything within the Web3. So you don't really need to go to the traditional cloud. Everything can be done within the Web3. And this is the sort of like the innovation of it. When we compare it to others, there are several differences that are worth uh, noticing. So on the availability proof, more or less everyone has a variation of it. So everyone checks that indeed the data is there. So this is more or less the same everywhere. The, the main difference comes at uh, programmability, where the data itself or the files can actually be a, now programmed a, through the EVM network with the BSC, BNB Smart Chain. It supports delete for the ones who, so for instance, ROIF does not. And it uh, very similar to the, or exactly the same essentially as AWS S3 from the billing and fees perspective. And this is very, this is essentially very, has uh, very big implications in terms of the whole ecosystem. And to understand why you need the, um, you need to understand how the current decentralized storage works. Essentially, you're paying only for the storage. So if you go to, and to any of these, uh, to the Filecoin RV for storage, you pay either forever or per date or whatever, but you pay for the, uh, for the data to be stored, not for the data to be retrieved. And what it means that, uh, when you have file that has exceeds sort of like interest and has a lot of traffic, a lot of reads, then this becomes a problematic and the data is not longer available. It is there, but you cannot reach it. So it sort of like makes it not a reliable solution for any useful uh, commercial project. And uh, this is one of the main issues that uh, Greenfield is trying to solve essentially for the storage providers to be able 
to, to be incentivized uh, both to store data and to serve data. And this means much greater uh, availability and reliability of the service, which means that it, we should be able to meet the commercial standards and um, the demands of the commercial products for them to be built on top of it. Uh, from the token perspective, uh, uh, it uses the same BNB token as all the projects in BNB ecosystem. So it means that it's not tied to some kind of like niche uh, domain, but rather a broad, um, well-stabilized sta token. So this is also a plus for to be able to like to to predict your cost as a project or even like your as a user um, to know how much exactly you will pay and not to be uh, sort of like to check the market every day whether it's jumped or not on the daily basis. Maybe I can start with a couple of uh, a couple of questions on Greenfield. So. Can you go a little bit more in depth in the trade-offs on the data availability, availability proofs? Um, what's the what are the main trade-offs between proof of challenge and proof of replication, for example, or just the rest? Like to be fair, not so much. It is a little bit different because uh, proof of replication, uh, the way it works, it's uh, in a ways it checks whether the data was replicated uh, and uh, the proof of challenge is actually getting the data. So the way it works, the validator that is like this cloud on the right is actually going to the storage provider and getting the data. So from the storage provider, it's not different from any other user. So this is like an interesting approach in terms of uh, the, the storage provider doesn't really know who's who's getting the data. It's like the tester of Michelin restaurant, like somebody comes, checks it, and you don't really know like if it was a tester or if it was like a regular customer. And uh, uh, this is mainly how it's different, like besides it's a little bit different cryptography, but that this is like very nuances, uh, small nuances in terms of what better, what not. Let's leave it to the uh, cryptographers to decide what is better but from the uh, I guess like from the operational perspective the main difference is that uh, in Greenfield the validator is the one who actually goes and checks and uh, actually downloads the data and actually verifies everything it's not built on some kind of hashes or something like that is uh, sort of like should be reliable but uh, this is like 100% reliable because like, you're actually getting the data and checking if it's the same file. Okay, perfect. So I guess a follow-up question on this. You mentioned the, the testers who are like a, a, part of the, a part of the ecosystem as well, but who are, who are the rest of the actors? Who are the stakeholders here? There's the tester, there's whoever wants to store data, there's mm -hmm. the user who wants to access this data, and then there's also like a node operator, I guess. Yeah, uh, so, I'm not sure, correct me if I'm wrong. So there are, there's, from our perspective, there are three, I guess, stakeholders. So there are uh, storage providers. These are essentially the, the nodes who actually store the data. They are the ones who actually like put it and split it and whatever, and make sure that it is uh, replicated to any other storage providers. Uh, they are naturally the the user who can interact both with the uh, with the Greenfield database uh, blockchain, with the um, uh, BNB smart chain blockchain, and sort of like indirectly uh, to control the Greenfield files and actually to get the data. Also, one big aspect of it, that the data is downloaded directly from the storage provider to the, to the actor. So it means that you don't need to, the users don't care about the blockchain 
congestion or the block size or anything. They are just like getting direct link to the storage provider and download it at the highest speed possible between whatever is like both uh, at the maximum limit of both. And uh, this means that uh, there is simply uh, the blockchain or any of its possible limitation simply not involved in the actual serving the file. This is very important uh, to, to enable the best or compatible uh, service to the, to the cloud ones. And the last uh, stakeholder is the uh, validator. So they are the one who operate or build the Greenfield blockchain. And from our perspective, Greenfield blockchain is just, it's in a way, it's just a billing system. It's similar, it's similar to Bitcoin in a way that it just holds who holds whom for the storage, for the traffic. And uh, this is just continuous and, and date and, um, uh, balances are being deducted on the on the block level, uh, and they what they're also doing is they are communicating between the greenfield as a and the BNB smart chain as the relayers. This one, so this one relayers are actually these ones, the validators themselves, and they are the ones who are doing the challenge. So uh, from the so they're a little bit like they have more responsibilities uh, compared to regular blockchain. Because on regular blockchain, they are just like building the blocks and that's it. So here they also serve as the relayers and they also serve as the challengers. So they have much more uh, responsibility, but also naturally much more rewards because all these uh, lines eventually get rewarded for the operation and uh, thus, like, sort of like this makes the whole system uh, sustainable. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we got we got the validators who perform roles like the testing and also the billing and the tracking of the usage of the storage. Then we have the user who has two roles. It can be storing data or it can be retrieving data. And then we have the storage provider. Is that correct? Yeah. And the user can also interact. So essentially, it can also change the permission of the data. So this is right. so okay. it doesn't make it only the storage system. It also makes it like you can share the file to separate people. You can uh, remove the access. Uh, so for instance, this something like Spotify, for instance, if you own, like if you created your own podcast, for instance, and then people could uh, get access to it through the BNB Smart Chain, they will pay you a little bit uh, of tokens, and then you will provide them access to this file with some kind of expiration, and they will be able to hear it. You'll get money for the like, sort of like royalty for listening and deducted from that amount, the money will be deducted for the, um, for the storage and for the traffic. And this is how the essentially the billing uh, model works in, in terms of flows. So each user in the system has inflow, the, the royalties, so to speak, from the monetization of the data and the outflow. The outflow would be for the actual operation, like for the storage and for the traffic that is being used by your users. And eventually, like your net flow is the, like how much money you get minus my, how much money you, it's like balance sheet eventually, like from the, from the like traditional finance. Right, that's that slide is great. Um, that that's very clear when you see it when you see it here. That was actually going to be my next question. So I just have one last question on on Greenfield, and it's uh, it's about the storage providers. What are the requirements for being a storage provider? But in terms of bandwidth, in terms of minimum amount of storage that you provide. Yeah. Uh, so the. There are two types. Uh, there are two types of storage providers. There are primary storage provider and secondary storage provider. So um, the primary storage provider is the one who is actually serve the data. So they need like to have more capacity in terms of network and in terms of uh, uh, file storage because they need to have store the full chunks. 
And uh, the secondary storage provider is just used for replication. So for instance, if you upload the file to the Greenfield network, then it is being split and uh, like the, the chunks are being replicated to the secondary storage provider, just in case. But all your interaction will be with the primary storage provider, which you can choose depending on the price and depending on the uh, uh, terms and conditions like this kind of stuff. So uh, the idea is that um, the primary storage provider will generally be established businesses in the cloud industry because you would have to have like an actual cloud rack for this. So it doesn't have to be like a stadium sized uh, uh, Google uh, Google uh, servers, but uh, it has to be like a few racks, like or like a room or something. So it's it still costs money, like I guess. So it's uh, for people who actually run the business out of it and uh, operate it in the uh, responsible like way, I guess. Uh, because again, this is um, uh, the storage provider, similar to validators, uh, put. Um, uh, the stake so like they need to stake a, a token and then if, if they don't meet uh, their own terms and conditions then uh, this stake is being slashed so this is like in similar to regular uh, proof of stake uh, system so this is why naturally they need to be like responsible in terms of bandwidth in terms of uh, storage interest everything uh, the secondary storage provider can be anyone because the the chunks are very small they're 16 megabyte so essentially even you uh, can put uh, some um, like your old uh, uh, computer a few hard drives and you can set up a secondary storage provider and uh, participate in the network as a replicating node you don't have to serve anyone you just from time to time, you are being challenged that the data is there, and that's it. Uh, so this is the main, uh, I guess, uh, differentiation between both in terms of requirements and both in terms of uh, type of sort of like of users or types of uh, operation. Uh, and from from the prime from the primary storage provider, it needs to have it's it's similar to the. Um, uh, to the node of the validator. So currently when you want to have a validator node, so you have to have a traffic, you have to have um, enough uh, both bandwidth and uh, the storage. So from the, like from this, from the IT requirement, it is the same. We currently think it will be exactly the same, just you have to have much more storage because this is what you are like mostly be using up. But uh, like from the, if we are talking about if it's some kind of uh, uh, large, extra large, tool extra large, like this kind of stuff, if uh, when we talk about cloud perspective, uh, then it, sh it should be the same. So like if you are in the validator business, so to speak, uh, you, can, uh, you can participate as a, either as validator of the greenfield or as a storage provider or as both. Fantastic. Perfect. Thank you very much. That was, uh, that was a very, very detailed answer. Uh, do you need to be running a BNB node in order to be a storage provider? Uh, I would say no, because it's a different node. So a, there are BSC, like BNB Smart Chain uh, network, which runs BNB Smart Chain node to build the BSC network. But similarly, you have Greenfield blockchain. So it is in a way similar blockchain. So you have to have a node. It just will be a different node. And um, the validators are not the same, naturally. Gotcha. So like, but it, in a way it's similar. It's very similar because like it's also built on uh, Cosmos SDK, uh, just like on the, the newest one. Uh, so it also uh, like enjoys all the recent changes that the Cosmos community has uh, incorporated into their, uh, their node and the, the recent change in the uh, Tendon Mint SDK, which has now been rebranded also. So this is like more of the like very, very 
Cosmos-based um, uh, blockchain. Great, perfect. Cool. I think we, we don't have any more questions on the greenfields in the chat. Maybe they will appear later. But uh, maybe you can continue with, uh, with the presentation. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, so I guess the last thing that I wanted to talk about is a little bit about payments. So as we talked uh, about uh, the, like you have this inflow, you have this outflow, but uh, what is interesting that you can actually create sort of like wallets for different objects and for different buckets. Uh, so, so you can also like segment it in terms of um, uh, like I guess like the operation you can have uh, dif different buckets for different operation and different payment accounts different wallets for it so this is very much sort of like uh, already pre-built to run to run a business like it will be easily transferred to some kind of um, uh, spreadsheet how much you get how much you um, spend and uh, so this is everything is configurable and extendable already like so you don't have to, like to build anything on top of it uh, it's sort of like you can even create a, a payment account per file so this this is very like both useful and like we hope that this will enable naturally because everything is programmable you can automate it and uh, uh, quickly like uh, set up some kind of uh, service and uh, to be being backed up by uh, by greenfield so th this is the last uh, that i wanted to talk about about the payment and overall and about the greenfield uh, uh, the second thing i was uh, besides the 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 blockchains and the services that um, uh, participate in the BNB chain community or ecosystem, uh, I would like to talk about the Avenger DAO. And this is has brought a lot of attention recently. So this has been uh, launched in September, I think, last year. And uh, so the main idea is, is to create sort of like the automized tool uh, for the monitoring of hack. So naturally, every blockchain has like lots of projects and especially with kind of DeFi and NFTs. So there's a lot of exploits and phishing and whatnot. So like the blockchain community as a whole has been plagued by uh, like by common, uh, different uh, rock pools and uh, uh, even like uh, like extortion and whatnot. Uh, so the idea was to have like both like for the dif different actors, both for the users of the system, of the blockchain community, to be able if this particular uh, contract or this particular token is a, let's call it like a scam, but like in the proper language, like some kind of like security challenged. Uh, and uh, from the project perspective, this is also turned out to be very interesting because if we, if you are to build some kind of landing system, for instance, where you operate uh, in the DeFi space and integrate with a lot of different DeFi projects, for if, for instance, you're landing it from one platform, then aggregating it and uh, uh, taking it on another platform. Your operation can be uh, integrated with um, uh, five to ten uh, different DeFi platforms. Uh, depends on the complexity, I guess, uh, of the model. And uh, while you yourself can have the most strict security uh, like practices in terms of programming, uh, you necessarily you don't know what happens with other projects and we've seen uh, like over the last years what thought to be like uh, big projects with a lot of traction a lot of users in the end when they get got hacked and after the sort of like uh, post-mortem to understand how this happened this was just like because of like some foolish things that could have been avoided and in fact like most of it, like 
of the hacks can be avoided, but unfortunately not. Like this is just like for, from poor practices. And uh, so what Avenger DAO does is um, essentially automatically both scans the smart contracts and uh, a sort creates sort of like a notification system for the projects to understand if uh, the, any of the project that you're communicating with is being hacked. So you can automatically shut down that operation and not to be liable to somebody else hack. And this turned to be very fruitful uh, to sort of like stop or to reduce the chain reaction across the ecosystem um, when you have a big, uh, a big project fail. So for instance, like Luna uh, last year. So this was a huge project and there were a lot of DeFi projects also like built on top of it. And this created like the whole cascading effect. So uh, this sort of like was created as, a, as an aftermath of uh, that event and uh, to avoid uh, such things in the past. Uh, so naturally things will be hacked in the future, nothing is impenetrable. But uh, this particular tool that is working on the BNB chain is intended especially for the DeFi project to be sort of like another line of defense uh, against uh, malicious hackers and like this kind of stuff. Uh, so a little bit technical for those who want to start and how to migrate and what, what to do, like how to actually build, uh, not even technical, but like more operational, uh, what to actually do with it. Uh, with the BNB chain. So we talked about that there, just to understand. So there mainly there are four things that you'll be interested in. Uh, primarily, I guess you would be interested in BNB smart chain. This is where you would update, uh, upload your smart contracts. Then if you think that already that your project is uh, already does not meet the demand from in terms of you want very high performance, uh, uh, this kind of stuff. So you can go either ZK Rollup or Optimistic Rollup. So Optimistic Rollup is EVM compatible. So you can also build on it using the smart contracts. And ZK Rollup is not uh, um, uh, EVM compatible, but it supports with a uh, with NFT, with tokens, with contracts, uh, so and it, it doesn't support smart contracts at all. So you operate with it with a API. So ZK Rollup is very much built something for like game developers or the um, projects who don't want to actually get involved into the blockchain as a development. They want to have it as a as a service. So uh, I want to build a blockchain game or social network or any kind of project. I don't care. I don't have some kind of like custom logic that requires to be on chain. From my perspective, I have a token, I can mint it, I can sell it or some kind of NFT. And uh, so this kind of like basic operation, a set of it quite large but uh, in a sense basic so you can trade tokens you can trade nfts and uh, all this you can do with api so naturally you can like you can build some kind of game you can connect the api and from your perspective you don't even know how blockchain works so this is this is mainly for those projects and for those who do want cus uh, custom logic then there is an optimistic rope that is rolled out uh, soon. Uh, so this is like from the compute perspective. So you have BNB smart chain, ZK rollup, and optimistic rollup. And on the data perspective, if you want to build data-driven projects, then you would uh, want to check out the BNB greenfield currently. Uh, in the phase one, it is supported only for the uh, changing of the metadata that is uh, renamed and permissioning. 
and uh, in the phase two you'll be able to do data processing uh, on the decentralized network so this is like sort of like to to say who, who who's against whom so to speak um so there are naturally i'm not sure like like there are mainnet and there there is testnet so the testnet is built for the to testing out the project the mainnet is like your production system that is where the real money works and the real users uh, to get the testnet money or the bnb token you need a faucet uh, so these are the faucets that you need to go to to get uh, testnet bnb so this is not real money you can not really spend it anywhere this is just for the testing uh, to pay for the uh, for the interaction with the testnet so for the bnb smart chain you have a faucet for the a testnet of BNB smart chain and for the greenfield you have another faucet why do you have different faucets because it's just greenfield has only been uh, developed usually you would have one so eventually this will be combined together and this will be the same uh, testnet BNB currently it's being split but I guess like in a few weeks or coming I mean, one two months uh, they will be combined and there will be only one faucet and only one test BNB. Currently, you just need to understand that this is two different faucets, two different test and BNB. Uh, you need some kind of uh, uh, IDE or programming environment. You can do Redix, you can do Visual Studio, depends on your preference and uh, knowledge or whatever you've been using before. And on the Greenfield, there are several smart contracts that you can uh, clone and use on the naturally on the BNB smart chain. There is a it's like blanket, uh, wild blanket. You can do whatever you problems that are uh, to use um, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, smart contract development. Uh, there are a lot of development tools uh, have been developed uh, because it is EVM compatible. So all the tools that are in the not it's the same thing so like even right. for instance uh, the OpenSea nft platform it also exists on bnb smart chain it exists on bnb smart chain and all the tools like that you are using from your laptop all of them work on the bnb smart chain as well right i think you can you can share that and we'll put it uh in in the video you can uh, we can share the slides and then we'll put it in the video so we can go through it we don't need Absolutely. to go. I will also um, send to, to you the presentation. You'll be able to share it among the community as well. Fantastic. And a little bit so that it will be easy because it will be recorded. So just about the RCP point, uh, RPC points. This is very confusing. There's a lot of like um, uh, support questions around it. So I just like put it in one slide. Uh, so generally you have again mainnet. You have testnet. This is how you communicate it, and you. This is the ones that are. Uh, this uh, so this is by Binance Org. This is by different. Naturally, all of this can be uh, interchanged with the uh, third-party RPCs. You can do whatever you want. Just make sure that you check which is the chain, the correct chain ID, 
so mainnet is 56, testnet is 97, so don't use some kind of config files for it, because there were a lot of confusion, lots of money got lost. Uh, be careful about it. Uh, for the greenfield, it is a little bit bigger, because you also have and uh, you, you also communicate with the storage providers. You also have RPCs about uh, the ETH um, API, the Tendermint API. From the program perspective, it's a little bit sort of like overwhelming. But uh, once you get to it, it's, it's, not, it's not so uh, difficult. A, again, like because at this point, there are sort of like two BNB smart chains on the testnet. So one is like real one, which is 97, and one it is only for Greenfield. This will be eventually discontinued and will move to 97 as well. Currently, this is another testnet. A little bit confusing, but like one, when you are building just like a Greenfield project, this is your testnet. When you're not building Greenfield project, this is your testnet. In two months, it will be the same testnet. So a, a little bit about that. Naturally, everything is, uh, can be taken and documented on the documentation websites. So I took it from there, actually. But, but uh, just like to a little bit uh, for people to understand what's, uh, what's what. And uh, All right. once, it, once it is unified, then it will be easier. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about quickly mm -hmm. is the ongoing program that is currently uh, being uh, rolled out. This is, I think, the the application to this is deadline, I think, next week or in two weeks, something like this, so like very close. Uh, so this is for the projects who want to participate in building. Uh, on the BNB smart chain or Greenfield or any kind of like uh, Ziki BNB or whatever, anything that is from the uh, BNB chain, they can participate. It's like an accelerator in that form that uh, uh, companies or startups can uh, apply, and uh, the best will be taken into the program and uh, given funds and given resources and marketing and uh, business development and technical and whatnot. So this is just for those who uh, plan to already build in some kind of project. This is something for you to consider. You can apply and you can like uh, see what, what you can get from it. And that's it. All right. Connect to us to the social. I guess. Fantastic. Okay, that was an excellent presentation. Thank you very much, Victor. Um, we have a few more questions Absolutely. in the chats. So Nick, uh, Nick was asking that uh, given that BNB has a proof of authority uh, sort of modification to Beacon Chain, uh -huh. what are the measures to ensure the long-term security and resi resistance to potential collusion or malicious attacks on the network? Uh, so the main currently idea is uh, we are aiming to, first of all, to increase more. So currently it's like 40-something, and this will be increased up to 100 by the end of the year. Uh, the idea is that uh, it's sort of like actually worse the other way uh, because uh, people need to, bec uh, because it is a proof of authority so they need to put a lot of money sort of like as a stake uh, and not everyone can uh, participate so if you even when you become validator a, like the new validator, so for instance, you are a malicious actor who aims to gain something out of it, a, and uh, you are not allowed within the first 30 days to do a, like what is called to be participate in the cabinet, which is like a superset of validators. A, so there are different uh, uh, gates, sort of like of security in terms of. Uh, to actually to become a full-fledged validator and also you have to put a lot of money uh, as a validator much much more than a, I think like 10,000 BNB which is a current marketplace 
market price three million dollars something like this uh, just to become validator uh, so this already a puts a lot of pressure like you need to think about how to actually to gain or what you're going to do a uh, this is more or less this is more or less um, on the long term we do expect to increase the uh, the amount of validators even more uh, so that uh, it is uh, sort of like even more secure uh, but uh, we are adding it like little by little because again like we want to ensure that uh, uh, the network is scalable and that all the previous improvements to the network perform as as advertised okay perfect i think we run out of time uh that was an excellent last question so thank you very much is there any last things that you want to mention uh, i think uh just try i guess like just try it out like uh there are again like even like from the last question like so people like tend to uh, to hesitate about uh, proof of uh, authorized authority uh, so uh, is it secure is it not so this is 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 it the same performance so this is uh, it's, it's a very performant network it's it has a lot of users it has a lot of projects and uh, we always run different uh, uh, incentivized programs for the new project so you if you are like a new project uh, definitely uh, check it out in terms of technology is the same thing that uh, ethereum uh, so even if you later on decide uh, that it is not for you for some reason you can uh, quickly migrate it back to a uh, to ethereum although like with the uh, impaired uh, performance but uh, i guess like that's your choice uh, but definitely worth worth a worth a try it also costs nothing to to go from Ethereum to BNB chain. So yeah, absolutely. And exactly. It's it's fully backward compatible, so you can try it out. You can see like if it is, if it is better for you, if it is not, and yeah, like you can migrate backwards. From our perspective, as a vision of the network, with uh, the idea is not to lock a project, so we don't tend to go into this kind of like if you're familiar. Uh, from the cloud uh, ecosystem where they customize, uh, for instance, MongoDB, so it acts differently from the actual MongoDB and then sell it as, as another project. Uh, so there is none of that, uh, like you actually like get the same functionality. So nothing will break if you move back and forth. The magic of the EVM compatible chain. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much, Victor. We've gotten to the end. Thank you again for Absolutely. such a lovely Thank presentation. Absolutely. Have an excellent day. You too.